tonight. So Pastor Annette said something uh, before, and she said that God has a plan for you. It's not in my notes or anything, but it just made me think when she said that. I hope everybody knows that, that God has a plan. When she said for you, she means you, whether you're here, whether you're at home, anywhere. He has a plan to work in you, a plan to work through you, a plan to work with you. He has a plan for you. That's kind of exciting when you think about it. And it's in his perfect will. So keep your eye open. You're going to see that plan. So I'm just going to get started. So I'd like to start off tonight with a few questions. Questions that would hopefully get you thinking about you. Although I believe that my message tonight is uh, good information for Christians in general. My hope is that you don't walk away thinking about Christians in general. My hope is that you walk away thinking, how does this apply to me? What is God saying to me? Just as when you read the Bible, it's not wrong to say that God is speaking to all Christians. But when you read the Bible, you should say, this is what God is speaking to me. Because he is. You know, don't be afraid to change a few things in there. When Paul or somebody or Jesus is saying something about you, change that to me. It'll mean something when you do that. It really will. So, question. How much faith do you have? How much faith do you need? We say we want to believe God's word. We want to believe what God's word says about us. What it declares over our lives. We want to live in victory in areas like health and prosperity. But do we all the time? If not, why? Tonight I want to speak to you about something I believe is the reason many Christians struggle um, with possessing all that God has provided for them. Tonight I want to speak to you about single-mindedness. To be single-minded uh, is, oops, I'm sorry. I believe the term single-minded is pretty much self-explanatory. To be single-minded is to have your mind fixed on one thing, heading in one direction, not turning to the left or to the right, not allowing anything to distract you. Tonight I'm going to speak to you about single-mindedness in our beliefs. We're going to see that if we do our part, God will do his part. There's two things you need to receive anything from God. Belief and faith. Many people use these words, belief and faith, synonymously, like they're the same thing, but they're not. But they are both needed, and they work together for a person living in the kingdom of God. I want to briefly touch on what belief and faith are, and then we'll see what the Bible has to say about them. Let's start with belief. Simply put, our beliefs are why you do the things you do. I found a definition in a dictionary that says, belief is an opinion or judgment by which a person is persuaded. That makes sense. An opinion or a judgment by which a person is persuaded. You do the things you do because of how you believe. Other than reflex reactions, you live your life and do the things you do because of the things you believe, the judgments that you make, the opinions that you have. I lost my place. Faith, on the other hand, has a different definition. The dictionary says that faith is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. I, that's kind of good, but I kind of disagree about that a little bit because I don't think you can have faith in someone or something. I think you can only have faith in God, right? The trust thing is good. I can trust people. I can have confidence in people, but if you're a Christian, 
I would never use the word, I have faith in you. I can believe in you, I can have trust in you, but not faith. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is not needed for the things that you can see, but for the things that you cannot yet see. If you are hoping for something from God, that means that it has not yet come to pass. If it did, you would not, it would not still be hope since you cannot hope for what you already have. Faith is your confident assurance that what you hope for from God will come to pass. One big difference between belief and faith is that your belief comes from you, but faith comes from God. I'm going to circle back to that a little later, but first I want to talk about the relationship between belief and faith. Every day we do many things, we think about many things. From the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, different thoughts are flowing through our minds. We think about things we've done, things we have to do, things we have not yet done. Some people can think of more than one thing at the same time. The Lord created our minds to be able to think, imagine, consider, reason, debate, and many more things. But what about your beliefs? Do your beliefs flow in and out of your mind like your thoughts do? What are your beliefs based on? What the Bible says? What other people say? How do the events of your life affect your beliefs? Are your beliefs grounded in the truth of God's word, or do you allow situations, hardships, and tragedies to weigh in? Belief should be based on truth and knowledge. I'm sure you would never base your beliefs on a lie if you knew it was a lie. And don't base your beliefs merely on something that somebody else says. Pastor Jose has said many times, don't take his word for it, read it for yourself. And I tell you the same thing tonight. Don't take my word for it, read it for yourself. The Bible says, let every truth be established by two or more witnesses. When it comes to the things of God, make sure that one of those witnesses is always your eyes reading God's word, allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal and confirm the truth to you. Belief comes in many different levels. You can believe something a little, wholeheartedly, or anywhere in between. You can have conflicting beliefs at the same topic at the same time. You can believe one thing in your mind, but question it because of what you see with your eyes. Let's look at two different scripture readings to see what Jesus had to say about belief and faith. First, we're going to look at belief. And this first reading is from the Gospel of Mark. It's in the ninth chapter. Just to set this up a little bit, there was a man who had a son who was possessed by an evil spirit or a demon. And he brought that boy, his son, to Jesus for him to heal him. But Jesus wasn't there when he got there. Jesus was up on a mount with Peter, James, and John. And it was at the time when Jesus was being transfigured or transformed. You can go back to, if you want, go back and read the beginning of verse 9, or chapter 9, and you can read that right into it, then you'll see what that's about. So when they got, so this is about when Jesus is coming down. So I'm sorry, so he brought his son to his disciples, and the disciples attempted to cast his spirit out, but it didn't go so good. So here's where we come into the, to the uh, account when Jesus is coming down with uh, Peter, James, and John, and he walks into this. He says, when they returned to the other disciples, that's when Jesus, Peter, James, and John returned, they saw a large crowd surrounding them, and some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. 
When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about, Jesus said. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently into the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, O faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into the fire or into the water trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The man definitely had a belief that Jesus could heal his son. That's why he brought him to him. He says in verse 17, he says, he says um, I brought my son so you could heal him. When he got there, Jesus wasn't there. Now, I don't know why his belief was that Jesus could heal his son or cast a demon out of his son. Did he see Jesus heal before? Did he know of somebody who Jesus healed? Did he hear of somebody who Jesus healed? But for some reason or some way, he had belief in Jesus. He got there. Jesus wasn't there. His disciples took a crack at it, if you will, and it didn't work out so good. Maybe his belief was waning because of the result or the lack of result that happened. I don't know. But we do know he had belief but not entire belief. He had belief, but he also had doubt. And because he had doubt, faith for healing was not present. Jesus even said in verse 19, you faithless people, partial belief doesn't get the job done. The man knew that his belief was wavering, so he cried out to Jesus to help him overcome his unbelief. Jesus helped in a powerful way by casting out the evil spirit out of his son. Now let's see what Jesus had to say on one occasion about faith. This next uh, scripture we're going to look at is in the, in the Gospel of Luke, starting in, the, in chapter 7, starting in the verse 1. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And in speaking to him, he says this, One day, Jesus says to his disciples, There will always be temptations to sin. But what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. I want to stop there just for a moment and just kind of insert what my thoughts are about this. When the apostles got done listening to what Jesus had said, their mindset was, this is hard. And he didn't say if he forgives you seven times in one day, forgive him. He said, a day. You could be working with this guy, and it could be five days a week, seven times a day. This is hard. Whoops. 
We are not going to be able to do this with the tools that we have. We are going to need some help. We are going to need an increase of faith. We will need more faith in order to be able to pull this forgiveness thing off. And then we read in verse 6. The Lord answered, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. <clears throat> so what was Jesus saying? He was saying that you do not need to increase your faith. You do not need more faith. If faith the size of a mustard seed could cause a full-grown tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea, how much faith would you think you need to forgive someone? The answer is the same amount. You see, it's not about how much faith you have. It's about the fact that you have faith. Faith is not incremental. Unlike belief, which can have many different levels and can move back and forth, faith has no such levels. It just is or it is not. Either you have faith or you don't. It's not a matter of how much faith you have for something. It's a matter of what things you have faith for. Faith cannot be divided. It cannot be diluted. When Jesus said a mustard seed-sized faith, he wasn't saying a little piece of faith. After all, even a mustard seed is a whole thing. He was saying that faith is always 100% complete, therefore there is no need for more. And I would even go as far to say that there's no such thing as more. That's my opinion. But. Now in Hebrews it says, <clears throat> in the 11th chapter, verse 1, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is absolute. Just like the words used to describe it here, confidence and assurance are absolute. There is no such thing as partial confidence. It doesn't exist. If you have partial confidence, you have, I don't know, there's maybe some other word that describes it, but it's not confidence. If you don't have confidence, period, you have what may be called a lack of confidence, but lack of means you don't have. If you've got a lack of money, you don't have money. If you have a lack of confidence, you don't have money. The same thing with assurance. If you have a lack of assurance, it means you don't have assurance. You may have something along the way, but you are not assured yet. Those are absolute words, and faith is an absolute thing. Now, some of you are probably thinking, what about the times that Jesus said, oh, you of little faith? Isn't Jesus saying that people, the people that he's speaking to only have little pieces of faith? Well, let's take a look. In Matthew chapter 8, we'll start at verse 23. Jesus was on one side of the, of the uh, Lake of Galilee, and he wanted to go on the other side, so they got into a boat with his disciples. And it reads like this on verse 23. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, O oh, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. O oh, you of little faith, 
Jesus was saying that their faith was limited to very few things. And the situation that they were in at that time was not one of them. If they had faith at all that God was their protector, they would not even had to wake Jesus up. But they did not know God as someone who would keep them safe. So instead of faith, they had fear. This conflicted thing, I just lost my spot. <clears throat> Sorry. The biggest problem was that to this point, they didn't truly know who Jesus even was. And you can't have faith in what you don't know. I'm not even sure what they exactly expected Jesus to do. Let's look at verse 27. It says, the men were amazed. They were amazed. Did they expect him to calm the storm? No. If they did, he calmed the storm, they would have said, thanks. Good job. That's what we expected. They also said, what kind of man is this? They don't even... We're starting to wonder what he even is, that he could do this. They didn't even know who he was. How could you have faith in him? They clearly had no faith at this time, only fear. They only woke Jesus up out of sheer desperation. So Jesus could not have been saying to them their faith was little because their faith, because they had none at all. It was non-existent. So little faith is not a small piece of faith for something Having little faith is having faith for only a few things. It's not correct to look at the faith you have as something that's chopped up and spread throughout the different areas of your life. It is correct to look at your life and note what areas you have faith in. Let's look at another example. Only now, let's look at a time when Jesus said that someone had great faith. In Matthew Chapter 8, verse 5, we read, When Jesus had entered Capernaum, Capernaum, a centurion came to him, asking for help. Lord, he said, My servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, Shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following, following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Jesus said that the centurion's faith was great, because he had faith for many different things. He had faith that Jesus had the ability to heal someone. He had faith that Jesus had a desire to heal his servant. It's one thing to know someone can heal someone. It's another thing to know that, okay, I'm the one he wants to heal, or my friend is the one he wants to heal. He had faith that the authority that Jesus possessed was such that he need not even go to his servant's bedside, but could heal him right from where he stood. He had faith that Jesus could heal his servant merely by the words that came from his mouth. He even had faith that Jesus could heal his servant without even having an actual diagnosis of the problem. All he heard is he was paralyzed and he was uh, suffering terribly. That could be lots of different things. Didn't even go to look at him. If you're looking for an explanation of how he could have that kind of faith, the answer is in his response to Jesus. 
In verse 8 he says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come to my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes. I tell this one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. Because of the centurion's faith and understanding the authority. See, he was, he knew authority. I, I'm under authority. I have people over me and I have people under me. And I do what he says and they do what I say. He could send soldiers into a place where they know they're going to die. But they go. That's authority. I couldn't tell anybody to do that because I don't have authority over them. But he did. He understood it. And because of the centurion's understanding of authority, he recognized the total authority that Jesus possessed. And his belief in what that authority could do was unwavering. There were no shaded areas, no unbelief whatsoever. His belief was single-minded. And when you get to the point of single-mindedness in your belief, faith comes. That's what the Bible says. Faith comes. In Romans 10, 17, it says, So faith comes by hear from hearing, that is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ. You hear it, and some would say you hear it again, and you hear it again, and I need to do that, hear it again and again and again. What happens when you start to hear enough times? You start to believe. And when you believe and believe and you believe it gets in your heart, faith comes. Faith is not the accumulation of belief. It doesn't, it's not a whole pile of belief piled up high enough and then it becomes faith. It's not like Monopoly when you're buying houses in hotels. You buy a piece of property and you pay whatever, $100 for a house. And you pay another $100, you get another house. You pay $100, you get another house. Another $100, you get another house. And the next $100, which is the same exact thing you've been paying all along, you get a hotel. It's not like that. When you believe only what God says to the point that nothing else you see or hear changes your belief, you make an avenue that God uses to give you faith. So faith comes. You have faith or you possess faith not because your belief created it, but because you made a way for God to get it to you. So now you become single-minded in an area, let's say prosperity, and you have faith that God is the one who prospers you. Can you lose that faith? The answer is yes. Unlike salvation, faith can be lost. But I don't say this to discourage you. I say it to, on the contrary, I say it to encourage you. To encourage you to stay single-minded on God's truth. Because opposition will come and try to cast doubt in your mind. Once you have doubt, you now have a tangent in your belief. And you're no longer single-minded. And faith will leave just as it came. There's, a, there's a, a, another, I always want to say story, but I hate saying story because they're not stories in the Bible. An account. There's another account in the Bible. When Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and he's hungry, and he sees a fig tree off in the distance, and he walks up to the fig tree thinking that he's going to get himself some figs, but when he gets there, there are none. So he curses the fig tree, and the fig tree shrivels up and dies right there. And his disciples are amazed at that. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, if you have faith and don't doubt, you can do things like this and much more. You can even say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. Jesus said if you have faith and don't doubt, or don't have unbelief. Since faith cannot come if there is doubt, Jesus is talking, ab Jesus is talking about doubt that comes after faith was already there. You can have single-minded belief in an area in life, 
uh, receive faith from God and then lose that faith because of the doubt. In verse 22, he says, you can pray for anything, and if you have faith, you will receive it. What's the only thing to keep you from receiving it? Not having faith. What's the only thing from faith, keeping faith from staying with you? Having doubt. Our job is to maintain single-minded belief in what God has declared. Is that easy? Is that hard? I guess that's for you to answer. I will tell you this. Life is going to be difficult at times no matter what. You have to decide, do I want to do this on my own or with God's help? I'm not sure if God can be frustrated, but if he can be, I would imagine it would be very frustrating for him to never leave your side, but at the same time not to be able to help because you won't allow him due to unbelief. At the cross, Jesus accomplished everything necessary. Our only job is to believe it. But like I said, the enemy will come and try to sow doubt in your mind. The best way to combat this is to know what God's word said. Like I said before, you will never have faith for what you don't know. If you don't, if you don't know something, how can you have faith in it? You can't believe in it enough that God can give you faith in it. It won't happen. Um, and the other thing is to, that you have to guard what you think about. Your thoughts matter. In soccer, the most important player in the field is a goalie. His only job is to guard the goal so his opponents cannot score. So I don't know if you watch soccer at all. I don't watch a lot, but uh, I used to play it. I was lousy at it. But soccer's are very low-scoring games, like one to nil, one to one, two to one. Those are common scores. And there's usually not even that many shots on goal. There might only be 10 shots on goal in, on one side in the game. So you might think, well, the goalie, he, he's, he's saving, he saves some goals, but just the fact that he's there is the reason that goals aren't scored. They have to fight and pass and, and try to struggle to get a good shot because he's there. If he wasn't there, they'd lob the ball from halfway down the field and just let a boop roll on the goal. The scores would be 50 to 50. So that goalie is very important just to be there. What thoughts are you allowing to come in? Is your goalie in front of your mind's goal? Jesus said that we should have faith like a child. Now, because I believe faith is faith, what Jesus is saying by having faith like a child is faith that comes easily. Why does a child's faith come easily? Because generally they accept whatever is told them without questioning it. When our son was little, when he was our son Matthew, when he was like three and four, anything we told him, he would just believe it. I don't remember ever once him saying, really? Or what? Never. My wife was so diligent to put the word in him. She had all these flashcards, all these Bible verses all over the place. His favorite verse when he was like four years old was Philippians 4.13. He had a t-shirt that said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And believe me, he believed it. He had faith in it to a fault. If you said to him, Matthew, can you pick up that 100-pound rock? He'd say, in Christ who strengthens me, I can. He had faith because he just heard it and he accepted it. It's what he lived. That's what we need to do. That's what God wants us to have. You know, in the Bible, there's, there's times when people question God. Questioning God isn't bad. It's just, what is your question? There's a, a time, and I think of Zechariah and, and Mary in the Bible, and when Zechariah was told in the temple that he was going to have a son, he had a question for God. And if you don't know the story, Zechariah was very old, and his wife Elizabeth was very old. 
and they've been praying for a child, but they never have one. And Jesus said, you will have a son named John. And he told them things about John the Baptist, the mighty things he would do for God. And his question for Gabriel, the angel, was, how can I know that this will happen? There's doubt in that question. The same angel, about six months later, came to Mary. And she said, you will conceive and bear a child. And Mary had a question, too. How can this be? I'm still a virgin. That was simply a question about just information. And Gabriel easily and, and, uh, answered that question. He said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. God has no problem with you asking questions. No problem whatsoever. But when you ask him a question, I would believe what he says and give him the benefit of the doubt. You know, I'd like to, in closing, if you don't know the Lord as your Savior, I would just like to say this. If faith only comes as a result of single-minded belief in God's Word, you might argue that you would have to be a Bible scholar before you could even be saved. But that's not the case. The Bible says that God gives each person the measure of faith. Let me encourage you, if you believe that the Lord is tugging at your heart, wanting to be a part of your life, but you are not sure what to do, and you don't, and you don't have, I'm sorry, and you are not sure what to do, you don't have to get it all right to be saved. You don't even have to get any of it right to be saved. All you simply have to do is make a confession of belief in Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did at the cross, and God will give you the faith needed to be saved. From that point on begins your journey towards single-mindedness with God. It can and will become anything you make of it according to what you put into it. God will always hold up his end. Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining us here at Church of the Bridge today. I pray that you had a personal encounter with God, that he spoke to you powerfully, and that he met you at your place of need with this message. I also want to encourage you to go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page. By doing so, you'll be able to check out past messages, uh, past events that we've done. You'll also be able to see what's happening now and those things that are to come. And lastly, I'd like to invite you to join with us in all that God is doing with your giving. Feel free to do so on our website. Again, thank you again for joining us, and I can't wait to connect with you next week.